With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Jake Letarski, joined today by John Littering. If you're on Twitter, give John a follow at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can give me a follow at Roto Jake. John, it's uh, it's been a really long time since we've talked. I think maybe it was 241 was the last time we were able to get together for a show. I mean, the biggest change since last time is uh, you're a married man. I want to I want to congratulate you on behalf of uh, our listeners and you. Uh, so uh, how's life? how's life different for you? <laughs> oh thank you very much uh it's pretty much the same not much difference uh me and my wife are living together before we got married so it's all gotcha. it's all good all the same mm-hmm. all right you still watching fights still finding time to watch fights here yeah yeah that, that part hasn't changed either all right awesome awesome well we got a uh we got a, a serious card on our hands this weekend uh no title fights surprising but uh we do have the bmf championship you can take a wild guess at what that stands for the ufc has since trademarked that but uh that belt that uh, is on the line was almost in jeopardy earlier this week when uh nate diaz kind of went on one of his patented nate diaz rants and uh pretty much tried to rip the ufc and usada because apparently he tested positive for something but since then of course it's funny how this works when you're the main event you get cleared right away uh cleared of any wrongdoing they found the tainted supplement the main event is intact what was your initial reaction to that whole thing you know it was strange you know i try not to really pay attention to what nate diaz says because you know a lot of it is just background noise and stuff you know he rambles about a bunch of different stuff um like you said this actually seemed to be one of the rare legitimate situations you know he was talking about 
Um, I think what ultimately was the difference here was you mentioned he tested, you know, positive in the supplement. I want to say he was able to pro- provide the actual supplement that he did take mm-hmm. and that expedited the testing so they could confirm, you know, there's no advantage and nothing illegal and all that stuff. And I think mm-hmm. in the past, guys who have tested for supplements and stuff like that haven't been able to provide the exact thing they were taking. But you're right. The fact this, you know, was a main event fight in Madison Square Garden probably yeah. also right. helped expedite the whole process. Yeah, the sense I got out of the whole thing was that, uh, you know, he only takes plant-based and is very particular about what supplements he takes. So he knew exactly where to go look from you know where he bought it whereas you know some of these other situations that take a long time it might take a while to get these uh to, to get the actual sample and to be able to reproduce it and that's not always able to happen so uh good 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 job good point there thanks for clearing that up but man we've got a fight on our hands now that uh the, everything is official everything's locked in for saturday Jorge Masvidal, he is on a tear, taking on Diaz. Uh, the Vegas odds have Masvidal at minus 160 at the moment come back on Diaz plus 140 uh 8800 on DraftKings is the price for Jorge Masvidal uh Diaz comeback 7400 the odds to finish on this one are plus 115 so there seems to be at least Vegas thinks we have a decent chance of getting a five round uh main event which in your preview for the website John which you can check out on Rotowire you mentioned that's the advantage towards Diaz but is he your pick in this one and how is this one uh, playing out He's not my pick, but that definitely, if you're going to make a case for him winning, that I think that definitely is his biggest advantage. Um, you know, Nate Diaz's biggest strength is his cardio. Um, you know, his brother was is the same way. Simply put, the guys don't get tired. I should say he has two huge strengths. One's his cardio. The other is his durability. Um, you know, they both can, you know, take countless amounts of punishment and, you know, not get stopped. Nate Diaz has been knocked out once in 31 professional fights. So, you know, he he's going to, you know, be able to last the whole 25 minutes, you know, barring something unforeseen. And I think if you want to discuss him as a value play at what is, you know, a pretty cheap salary at 7400, it's the fact that he's so hard to get out of there. Um, that, you know, the longer this fight goes, and I think that's the case in pretty much any fight Diaz is in, um, you know, the longer the fight goes, the more, you know, he, it swings in his advantage. And I do think that's, I do think that's a big edge. Um, you know, obviously Diaz is coming off the win over Anthony Pettis and, you know, that was a three round fight and, you know, he was on Pettis from the get go in that fight. But when that was all said and done, it was just remarkable how much fresher he looked than Pettis. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, obviously he was winning the fight, so, you know, he's going to look fresher. He beat the other guy up, but, you know, I really do believe Nate could go like 10 rounds and, you know, wouldn't know the difference, you know, and that's a huge edge. Um, I think Masvidal's probably the better fighter um, if for no other reason than he's been more active. Um, You know, Masvidal's last win came against – last fight was against Ben Askren in July – you know, we all saw the flying knee, you know, five seconds in was one of the, you know, the greatest knockouts in the history of the sport. But, you know, there's some flukiness to that. You know, there's a reason we've never saw a five second flying knee knockout before. So, you know, I think you kind of got to take that with a grain of salt. Um, I'm going to pick my, I picked Masvidal to win, but I'd be a little hesitant to use him at the 8,800, uh, you know, price point. And I'd feel a lot better about it if this was a three-round fight. If this was a three-round fight, Masvidal could, you know, empty the tank, so to speak, early. 
um, and eliminate whatever cardio advantage Diaz might have late. But, you know, I think if you're the type who makes a bunch of lineups, I think Diaz is a pretty good play because, you know, if this fight does go the whole 25 minutes, which I think it will, you know, I don't think there's any chance that Diaz is going to spend 25 minutes getting beaten up. Exactly. You know, I certainly think he's going to be able to land his fair share of offense. And, you know, if nothing else, that's of interest at 7,400 if you have a bunch of higher priced fighters you want to get in your lineup somewhere else. Yeah. So when I first saw this fight and it was announced and I and I kind of jotted down my, you know, my initial picks, you know, sometimes they change from my initial gut reaction. I went down with I went with Masvidal because for a couple of reasons, one, the activity that you mentioned um, and two, I think his punches just pack more power. Than they do than than those of Diaz do. Now Diaz uh, will win with volume. Uh, the way I see it, I mean Diaz four point seven one significant strikes landed per minute, and uh, he's fought a lot of five round fights over his career. So it's not like that's that's that uh, you know it doesn't mean as much because this is a five round fight. You go to Masvidal four point one seven significant strikes landed per minute still. A solid mark here, but the edge and volume goes to Diaz. Um, so my initial gut reaction was, yeah, Masvidal. The, the, the Vegas has this right; he's the favorite. But you know, I know Diaz hasn't been super active. But you look at um, you. So you look at the recent fights from Masvidal. You got Ben Askren five seconds. Sure, you can call that a little fluky. Maybe the result wasn't fluky, but the, you could say the, the manner in which it happened did. And then you have Ben Askren went out last weekend uh, in uh, Singapore I know it, it didn't get a ton of attention but Ben Askren was submitted by Damian Maya who's in his 40s um, and then before that the the, the win that uh, Masvidal had to uh, to get up to Askren um, on that pay-per-view card was Darren Till who he beat pretty handily and I, I think it's pretty clear that either the UFC pushed Till too fast, we'll talk about him in a little bit or maybe he wasn't who we thought he was and before that then you have the long layoff and then you have two losses to Stephen Thompson and Damian Maya so uh, yeah, he's got that win against Cowboy Cerrone in there too. But um, you know, Masvidal's an awesome personality. He's a fun fighter. There's no doubt in my mind he's a good fighter. Um, and it's possible that he's reaching his athletic prime later in this career. But when you look at the wins that got him here, you know, they don't necessarily do a whole lot for me, really. So I think with that mixed with the fact that there's a lot of volume for Diaz. Diaz has a real shot, and I think you alluded to it earlier. I'm surprised that the price tags aren't actually a little bit closer together. I'll come right out and say that I think that the winner in most GPPs here on Saturday is going to leave a lot of money on the table, especially if Diaz ends up winning this fight. But uh, the other aspect of it that, you know, so I'm starting to maybe think I'm going towards Diaz, but the other interesting strategy from a DFS standpoint is do you stack this fight? It's five rounds as, it's, as a non-title fight. Both these guys have plenty of volume. Do you want to stack this and hopefully get the winner? Um, hoping maybe that the, each of these guys get 80 or so significant strikes added to their thing. That's a possibility too because there's a good amount for DraftKings points. And if you get... I don't know, say if you get 160, 170 points between the two of them, that's not all that bad, especially if you're playing cash games where you know you have that much better shot, where the cut line's right in the middle and you have a much better shot of paying off and you generally are more conservative in there. So while I still think Masvidal is going to be my pick, there is a ton of good reasons to consider using Diaz in that spot, especially if it's in cash games and maybe just maybe stacking the main event here, at least in a certain amount of your 50-50s and your double up. Can you can you get on board with that, John? You know, I can because these two guys, and we, you know, we talk about this a lot, you know, the stack idea in something in fights, you know, gets thrown around a lot, but it's generally not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we generally don't advocate it being done, but 
this is one of the rare fights where I don't think it's a terrible idea, and I'll tell you why. These two guys combined have 79 professional fights under their belt. 79 combined. Mm-hmm. Jorge Masvidal has been finished three times. He's been knocked out once. He's been submitted twice. Nate Diaz, on the other hand, has been finished twice. Knocked out once, submitted once. So what is that? Five, about five times in mm-hmm. almost 80-something, nearly 80 professional fights between the two of them. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys. And I think as far I, – I, I, I'm on board with that. And I think as far as just picking you know, a straight-out winner here, I think the real difference is two things. One is what we mentioned earlier is – how much of an advantage do you think Diaz is going to have in rounds four and five? Because, you know, if this fight is at, you know, a tough, you know, and both these guys are aggressive fighters. So if these two guys are, you know, going balls to the wall right off the bat, you know, I don't think there's any any question that Nate's going to be the fresher fighter over the final two rounds. Mm-hmm. And um, you brought up another good point earlier. I wrote in my, in my preview article, I think there's a non-zero chance that we've already seen the best Masvidal has to offer. You know, he's certainly good. He's definitely one of, you know, the best welterweights on the planet. But you're right. There are questions about some of his victories that got him where they got him. He has some victory. You know, he's five and two in his last, you know, seven fights. You know, but two of those wins are over Ross Pearson and Jake Ellenberger. So basically, essentially, they don't count. You know what I mean? So now you're looking at a guy who's two and two in his last four fights. Um, I think there's a non-zero chance we've already seen the best Masvidal has to offer. He's going to be 35 in just about two weeks, November 12th. So he's not on the young side. So I, I think if you if you think Diaz is going to win this fight, I think it's a bet on his cardio and his durability. I think if you think Masvidal is going to win this fight, it's a bet on the fact he has more – certainly has more power and – I think he's just, you know, you're betting on a guy who's, and who you're betting on activity. Mm-hmm. He throws, yeah. more, he tends to throw more. He fights more often, and there's definite value in that. And he's with American Top Team, so you know the game plan is going to be top notch. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so the power thing is interesting to me because looking at Diaz's last several fights, you have Anthony Pettis, former featherweight, moved up to lightweight and welterweight. You have Conor McGregor, another former featherweight uh, that that's uh, that that moved up on occasion. You know, Michael Johnson, Rafael dos Santos. These are all smaller guys. Um, and that's not necessarily uh, the case here with uh, with Masvidal. I mean, Diaz only has a one-inch height advantage and a two-inch reach advantage. He had a much bigger edge in the fight against Pettis. And, uh, and I just don't think that Diaz has quite tasted power like this of late. Remember, Diaz took that real long break in his career. Um, so it, it's, it's the power that definitely makes me want to probably stick with Masvidal in this one. But by no means am I counting Diaz out, and I definitely plan on having some exposure here. Any final thoughts on this one before we move to the next one? No, I just we both. You know, I think we would both be surprised if this isn't close. You know, I don't think any guy's going to get blown out of the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Which is why it's a you know we want some could say it's a reasonable stack option here. But let's get to the co-main event. We want to talk about a couple more fights than normal uh, in this podcast, so we'll try to keep it moving. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum, Darren Till. This is uh, this is one of the bigger discrepancies, at least in the main pay-per-view card. There are a lot of close fights on this card. Very few favorites are minus over minus two hundred, and that is the case with Gastelum. He's minus two ten. Come back on Till plus one seventy-five. And the salaries reflect that accordingly. Gastelum is 9,200. Till is 7,000 here. Gastelum, of course, coming off uh, that uh, that war with Israel Adesanya, and uh, who ended he ended up just getting beat by Adesanya. Adesanya went on to beat Robert Whitaker for the middleweight championship. So Gastelum surely has a lot more momentum on his side. Till, on the other hand, uh, fought at welterweight. 
had a real tough time with that cut that's been well document documented, and now he's going to go up to middleweight, give things a shot here. Um, I'm double-checking to see if this is his first fight at middleweight. Um, it appears... I believe that, it yeah, is. Yes, it is, because his, his last fight was getting knocked out in the second round by Masvidal. His fight before that was a uh, title fight. Again, rushed a little too fast, got beat by the uh, higher-class martial artists like Tyron Woodley, got that Bravo choke in the second round. So Till's kind of at a crossroads in his career. He's 26, so he's got plenty of room to really uh, to really get going. He's going to be a name that's mentioned in the title conversation of multiple divisions for a while, whether he gets it together in the UFC or ends up over at Bellator good fighter i don't think he's quite on the level of gaslam and i think these odds are correct how do you see this one john i would agree and you mentioned it when we were talking about the diaz mazidal fight um so the ufc did two things with darren till one of two things either they pushed him too quickly uh which you know i, I you know a title fight against tyron woodley where you honestly he wasn't really he wasn't very competitive and then you know the mazidal fight or they just needed to make a fight here and they're just, you know, ignoring that fact, you know, so it's one or the other. Either he was too pushed too quickly or, you know, they're just ignoring the fact that he, you know, he, he had struggled with, you know, top competition. Um, and I don't think it's the latter because, you know, this is a pay-per-view at Madison Square Garden. You know, I'm sure they could have the UFC could have put together all kinds of different combinations if they wanted to. So, you know, I, I don't think it's the latter. Um Till the move to middleweight should definitely help Till's body. He had a really, really, really hard time getting down to 170 pounds. Um, he looked really rough on the scale, and you know we don't really know. There's no way to accurately quantify how much that takes out of a guy on fight night. You know, you'll hear that okay, so he made the 170 pound limit. He was back at one. You know, he was in the high 180s. You know, the next night, 24 hours later. But do you really know what getting down to 170 did to his body? Um, and, you know, we, we don't know that. And um, I definitely picked Gastelum in this fight. You know, I didn't think about the first, you know, the Diaz-Masvidal fight. I was back and forth, you know, for a while. Um, this was Gastelum for me. And um, the main reason is, other than Daniel Cormier, who, you know, we all know DC short for, you know, at the heavyweight division. Heck, he's short for the light heavyweight division. Um, you know, he gives up a bunch of size to every single guy that he fights. Um, but DC excels at fighting from in close. And I'm not talking about, you know, all the takedowns that he gets. Obviously, that's a big part of his game. But DC is excellent at negating the length and size uh, advantage that his opponents have. And other than DC, I think Gastelum is probably the best at that in the company. He, it's really, re- it's a really, really underrated part of his game. Gastelum's five foot nine. So for the middleweight, I mean, you know, guess, you know, that's a small, he'd be a small welterweight. He's a really, really, really tiny middleweight. Um, and the other thing is Darren Till's a power puncher. That, that is his game. Um, he can crack. He, he has a bunch of power. You know, the, the, we all remember the knockout of Donald Cerrone. Um, he took a decision from Steven Thompson. You know, that was a, that was a close fight. So, you know, it's like I mentioned, Till has a bunch of power, but, um, you know, I think there's some real, you know, truth in the fact that he's kind of viewed as a one-dimensional power puncher. Um, and if there's one, another thing you can say about Gastelum, it's that there are very, very, very few guys in the company who can eat a punch like he can. I mean, the Israel Adesanya fight, Gastelum got clocked a bunch of times, and I'm not talking about Gastelum gets hit and 
you know, he staggered and somehow survives or whatever. I'm talking about Gaslam can eat a punch and just literally keeps moving forward like it never happened. It's one of the craziest things I've ever seen. He's always been able to do it. Um, it's not a trait that can be taught. You either have it or you don't. And the guy just has an iron chin. Um, so um, if you don't think Till's power is going to hurt Gaslam, Gaslam's never been knocked out in his career, by the way. If you don't think Till's power is going to hurt Gaslam, then I really think Till has a hard time winning this fight. Gaslam's a really good wrestler. He doesn't use it much, but he's an excellent wrestler. So, you know, I don't think Till's going to be able, um, you know, to win in that area. And like I said, Gaslam is about as good at fighting bigger guys as anybody in the company. Um, you know, short of Daniel Cormier, I'd probably take Gaslam's ability to negate a bigger opponent more than it, better than anybody else in the company. And, um, you know, I think Till's good. You know, I, I do think the company pushed him too fast. Um, they gave him a couple really, really difficult fights and he didn't win. Mm-hmm. And even if he loses this fight and he gets destroyed by Gaslam, you know, I, I don't think, you know, he'll be on a three fight losing streak. But he, like you said, he's still just 26 years old. You know, I, I don't think it's the end of the road for him. Like, oh, OK, he's a total scrub. You know, we don't need to take him seriously. But, you know, this is another tough matchup. And we say all the time, you know, guys deserve credit. I mean, you know, Till's not going to turn down, you know, a co-main event spot in Madison Square Garden on a pay-per-view. But, you know, sooner or later, the willingness, you know, to take these fights against high-level competition doesn't mean much mm-hmm. unless you actually win them. Yes. I mean, if you move down in weight class and, and fight some like someone outside the top 10, you know, you're not getting the co-main on the Madison Square Garden. So definitely I uh, I, I feel you there about uh, him taking this fight, no doubt. Um, but yeah, you're right. I'm with you, John. This one doesn't seem like a winnable fight for Till for me. One of the few lopsided ones on the uh, card, honestly. Um, and part of it is, it's funny, Till's moving up a weight class, but he's got the three-inch height and three-inch reach advantage. Uh, normally you see, normally the other way around is what happens here. But we have to remember from a while back, Gaslam used to have all sorts of problems making welterweight too. So he's moved up to middleweight. He's just been here a little bit longer. And the reason that he can stay at middleweight, you made the great point, is because of his chin, John. But the uh, but what's really improved with Gaslam lately, you know, he does have the wrestling on his back pocket, so he can always rely on that if he has to. But what really has impressed me about uh, Gaslam lately is just his, his his boxing in the pocket, especially. Clearly, uh, him and Hafield Cordero at King's MMA have made a bunch of strides. And the guy, uh, you know, once he gets into boxing range, he's very, very dangerous. You know, hooks, uppercuts, that jab, he's going to pester Till with that jab. And by the time we get, you know, in, in, the, in the back half of that fight, I think the jabs will have definitely racked up. I mean, if Till can't put him away, Gaslam, because of those improvements he, he's made, he outpoints him over three rounds and picks up the victory here i don't necessarily know if it'll be super dominant um i'm a little hesitant to use him on draft well i mean i don't know there's enough underdogs where i think he's a viable play on DraftKings, even in the three round fight and i'd go for it just on the off chance till's been put away um who knows it could so it could happen again especially from a guy that hits as hard in the pocket as gasoline so we're both on the same page here we don't need to go into this one uh too much further i do i think we might finally run into one where we could disagree a little bit in this next fight coming up john a welterweight matchup between steven wonderboy thompson and vicente luque uh the DraftKings salaries in the vegas odds both go in the direction of thompson thompson's 8500 luque 7700 thompson a minus 130 favorite luque plus 110 so uh not a ton of odds value uh, maybe some odds value on Luke. Actually, the odds to finish are uh, plus one 
30 here. Uh, this is a tough one because you've got the experienced veteran that's been fighting the elite in the division for the longest time against an up-and-comer who's won 10 of his last 11, but a lot of the opponents have been no-names. This is a chance for Vicente Luque to get an actual real uh, serious name on his resume and prove that he's ready to at least be in the title conversation. Um, so what do you think he does with this opportunity, John? Okay, so here's the deal with this. I ended up taking Stephen Thompson and the whole time I was writing you know, the, this fight up for the preview article, I wanted to take Luke. Like I, I was trying to talk myself into it um, I, and I just couldn't ultimately pull the trigger. And the main reason for me is I'm really, really worried about Luke's fight IQ. I don't think it's good. He has a bunch of power. Um, like you mentioned, he's one. Of, he's hit four of his last five victories have all come via knockout. Um, his most recent fight was a split decision win against Mike Perry in August in a really back and forth fight where both guys took a ton of damage. Um, I'm worried about Luke's fight IQ now. Um, he doesn't strike me as the kind of fighter who makes you know in fight adjustments based on who he's facing. Um, but his power is a hundred ten percent legitimate. He definitely has more, you know, one punch knockout power than Thompson. Thompson is more volume and everything and, you know, placement. But I ended up taking Wonder Boy, you know, for that reason. And the other reason is I know Thompson has had it rough of late. He's lost three of his last four fights. He looked especially poor in a knockout loss to Anthony Pettis in March. You know, if he's going to lose, it is what it is. You know, Pettis is an excellent athlete. So, you know, if you're going to get, you know, schooled by Pettis, that's one thing. But to get knocked out by Pettis is another story. Mm-hmm. And that has me concerned. I'm worried about Tom. Like, you know, Thompson isn't young. He's, he'll be 37 years old in February. So, you know, is his chin starting to go? You know, look at Chris Weidman. You know, when it went, you know, it just vanished. His chin was there one day and gone the next. So, um, if you're con- if that's a concern for Thompson, and it is for me, you know, I definitely think Luke has you know some value at 7,700. But I ultimately took Thompson because I'm worried about Luke's game planning, and because Thompson is a great counter striker. He throws a lot of kicks. Um, I think he's the kind of opponent who could give Luke trouble because he's Luke so aggressive. But again, if you're a believer that you know. Thompson's best days are behind him and that's totally possible given his age and everything then there's a hundred definitely 100 value in Luke at 7700 mm-hmm. yeah give me all the odds value in fact even more money is moving towards Luke and I think that this could end up a pick him uh by the time the fight rolls around I'm now seeing it at uh, plus 105 on some of these sports books plus 100 on a couple of them as well William Hill uh one plus 100 is one of them uh so I mean this is one that could easily end up with a pick him so you've got a ton of odds value with Luke the big question is can he win? Um, and I think you made some actual, excellent points that even though he's been winning a, a lot lately, uh, there are some concerns about the in-fight adjustments and the fight IQ and the fact that he's going to get counterstruck quite a bit by Thompson. But what ultimately did it for me was, one, the activity. This is going to be his fourth fight in uh, in um, in 2019, which started in February of 2019, if you might remember. If you're doing any kind of film watch for this fight, go watch the Vicente Luque Brian Barberina fight. Uh, excellent fight. Um, you know, Barber, someone like Barberina shouldn't have tested Luque as much as he did, but uh, man, it showed that Luque has a heck of a chin, and obviously that chin wasn't an issue later on in fights against Derek Krantz and Mike Perry. Um, but 
but yeah, so uh, so that Brian Barberina fight, I mean, those guys beat they just beat the hell out of each other for uh, the better part of three rounds before Luke finally got the best of it and uh, finished him towards the end of uh, of the third round there. So uh, he was Luke was taken into deep waters there. He was tested a bunch. Um, so for that reason alone, yes, Thompson's going to land counter strikes. He's going to hit him. I don't think Thompson can put him away necessarily. And if Luke keeps coming, I think Thompson can be put away. And uh, so for that reason, the value you're getting with it, plus the knockout potential in this fight, the odds to finish on this one aren't necessarily too crazy. Uh, I mean, plus 130. So Vegas actually likes this to go to a decision. But I think Luke, one way or another, can find a way uh, to put him away. And the other thing is... um, I mean, not again, not necessarily known for it, but uh, Luke does have a, a shade more, uh, I think, wrestling ability. So if he needs to hang on to him or get him in the clinch um, to recover from any of those big shots, I think he'll be able to do that. I don't expect Luke to necessarily win this with offensive wrestling. He is averaging one takedown per 15 minutes, essentially one takedown a fight, um, whereas that's not really a part of Thompson's game necessarily. So there's that little X factor there. I mean, the two measure up equal. I mean, Luke is eight years younger, so you know maybe that plays into the, into the situation with the chin a little bit um but yeah i don't really have a whole lot more to say on this luke is going to be my upset pick and he's going to be a way to make um a lot of lineups work i think and i mean if you're going diaz luke suddenly you're opened up a lot uh, i'll kind of stress that point from the beginning that if you want to if you think you're going to win a gpp and you're using all fifty thousand dollars of your salary on DraftKings, uh don't expect to win that gpp because even if you do you're going to split it a few hundred ways so uh I, th- I this is one of those cards where i think you need to leave money on the table to differentiate yourself you're going to get a lot more casuals in this card um that are just you know that have the madison square garden they've got the allure they know the nate diaz name they're tuning in and are plugging in lineups you can definitely take advantage of that and uh luke is one way to differentiate yourself a little bit because if you were a mma fan five years ago you knew who steven thompson was you didn't know who vicente luque was so uh, uh for those couple of reasons a lot of x factor plus i think he can withstand everything that thompson has to offer and thompson chin worries me so for those reasons i'm sticking with luque as my pick uh you make a very good argument with thompson john but uh for, but for me this is where i'm differentiating uh, any more thoughts on this one or can we move on to the next i one? mean it, just, the only other thing i want to say was uh, there's just one other thing that has me concerned about luque and that thompson is a massive massive step up in competition you know, Luke has won six fights in a row. Five of them have been via stoppage, but those six uh, has won six fights in a row. Five via stoppage. Those six opponents: Mike Perry, Derek Krantz, Brian Barbarina, Jalen Turner, Chad Laprise, and Nico Price. Nobody on that list is half as good as Stephen Thompson. And the last guy Luke fought, who you would say is on the level of a guy like Thompson. It was Leon Edwards back in March 2017, and he lost. So, you know, it, it's a close fight, and I definitely think Luke is, even if you don't think he's going to win, is one of the prime, you know, value plays as far as saving salary to build your lineup, regardless of who you think is going to win outright. I hear you. See, now, if Leon Edwards and Steven Thompson were matched up, I'd probably pick Edwards in a heartbeat, would you? Uh, I might now, yeah. I, you know, I, I, would, I wouldn't have in, you know, March 2017, you know, whenever that, you know, Oh. I know that was Luke, but you know, a couple of years ago, you know, I pro- I well, I don't remember who I t- you know we were covering it back then. I don't remember who I took, but I might now. I mean, Edwards has gone on quite a run since then. So you know, and they're both different fighters. So saying Luke lost to Edwards back then, you know, is no big deal in the grand scheme of things. It's just my main point was that you know Thompson is just such a massive step up in competition as than from what Luke's seen lately. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, and if you're taking Thompson, that, I mean, that's the whole reason why he's 8,500 price taken and the betting favorite. Absolutely a step up in competition. So I can definitely see it from that angle. Uh, I just think Luke has had enough cage time and, and that he is actually ready for this one. But we will see on Saturday night. Uh, next up, I think this is one we'll probably agree on, but let's hash it out anyway. Kevin Lee, Gregor Gillespie. Uh, Lee, 7,100 on DraftKings. Gillespie, 9,100. Another one of those uh, high margin fights. Gillespie, a minus 175 favorite. Come back on Lee plus 155 odds to finish are plus 135 um this one is one where they're both wrestlers they came up with the wrestling background have incorporated some impressive striking into their game so far um do you agree with the fact that Gillespie is such a big favorite in this one and uh, how do you see this one going down yeah I do um Gillespie still isn't all that well known amongst casual fans. I mean, he only has what I think he has six fights with the company. Um, honestly, hasn't really fought anybody particularly good. He fought Yancy Medeiros his last time out um, in January. I guess that's probably his best opponent to date. But for those who don't know Gillespie, um, they're both both these guys are wrestlers, as you said. But Gillespie, at least through the early portion of his UFC career, has proven to be one of the best takedown artists in the history of the company um obviously small sample size but over the course of per 15 minutes worth of action over the early portion of his first six ufc fights he's averaging 7.44 takedowns per 15 minutes um his pace is absolutely insane you know i I, you know i we were talking earlier about you know the crazy cardio of nate diaz gillespie's pace uh, you know i'm tempted to say is even better the guy just doesn't get tired Ever. It, it's remarkable. And um, he, you know, he has the wrestling pedigree, four time NCAA D1 All American. He was a national champion in 2007. Um, he also has power. You know, he, you know, all, all, everything Gillespie does is based around the takedowns in his wrestling game. But, you know, if he's given an opening because of that, he has power to finish his opposition. And, um, you know, I think Lee is kind of in a tough spot. Um, Lee's athleticism is totally legitimate. He's a really good athlete. Um, he too has power. But my two concerns on Lee is one, I'm worried about his cardio. We've seen several fights where Lee has gotten into the later stages of bouts and it hasn't gone well. Um, you know, his fight against Rafael dos Andros um, in May, you know, he was submitted in the fourth round, but he was clearly fading. I think the better example is last December, you know, his rematch with Ally Quinta, Lee ended up dropping a unanimous decision and he just he fades as the fight goes on. He's a big muscular guy. I was watching and that one in Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah he, he, yeah, he it looked gets good worse early as it goes on. He ran on. out of gas and, and Rage and Al kept after him and was definitely getting the best in rounds four and five. And I guarantee you, Gregor Gillespie is not going to run out of gas ever. Not in a three round fight at least. Um so, you know, this just this seems like a bad matchup for Lee to me. Um, again, you know, main, paper, main card of a pay-per-view at Madison Square Garden, you know, these aren't fights anybody's going to turn down. But um, – and the other thing we should talk about here is Lee's a big guy. He has had problems with the weight cut. So his last fight um, against Rafael Dos Santos, he moved up to welterweight for one fight. Um, he, he The extra 15 pounds on his frame didn't help. You know, and Dos Santos is a tough mark. You know, there's no shame in losing to RDA. But Lee didn't look any didn't look good in his one foray at 170, so he's dropping back down to 155 pounds. And 
you know, I don't think I actually believe it or not. I don't really think that's a good thing. Um, he's going to have a strength advantage over Gillespie. I mean, pure strength. But I, you know, I don't know what good that's going to do. If Gillespie's the better wrestler and has better balance and better cardio and is the fresher guy, you know, Kevin Lee being stronger than Gillespie is not going to make much of a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I'm with you there. And uh, the, the measurements physically, I mean, Lee has the six inch reach advantage, two inch height advantage, but. With Gillespie, the constant wrestling pressure that you're going to face with him, I think it's going to be able to negate those pretty quick. I think the uh, the odds are are right in this situation, and I think Gillespie's an excellent play on DraftKings because of that takedown volume uh, that you mentioned in the past. I mean, we saw Kevin Lee uh, get worked a little bit by uh, by Rafael dos Santos. He, was the, he actually registered six takedowns of his, of his own in that, but Rafael dos Santos had four takedowns and passed guard four times, so Rafael was able to do more with that, and uh, I think we're going to see more of the same from Gregor Gillespie. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the weight cut for Lee. I'm glad you brought up the weight cut for Lee because uh, he, um, again, moving up to welterweight, coming back down, it's going to be a tough cut again, which definitely makes the uh, w- which makes the, uh, the cardio, like you mentioned, a bit of a concern. So I think we're on the same page here. Um, we're both going with Gillespie. Uh, I think he's a fine DraftKings play and going to be a foundation in a handful of my lineups. You get five points for a takedown on DraftKings, so go nuts there. Um, so he's my guy here. Uh, but let's move on from this one, and let's talk about some heavyweights, John. Uh, we got Derek Lewis, Blagoy Ivanov, Lewis 8,000, Ivanov 8,200. So pretty much a toss-up. Two guys that are going to try to knock each other out. The salaries reflect the odds. Ivanov minus 125, Lewis plus 105. Odds to finish only minus 145. Would have expected the heavyweights to be a little bit higher, but both have shown they are, they've been in more three-round fights than you'd expect of late. Um, but I expect these guys to play Rock'em Sock'em Robots until somebody falls asleep. It's going to be entertaining. Great way to get going on the pay-per-view. Uh, who do you give the edge to in this one, though, John? Well, this could go one of two ways, and depending on which way it goes, um, you know, it's going to favor each guy. I ended up picking Derek Lewis, which really, really pained me because um, we've talked about it on here before. Um, if you, any of you, don't know even of story, um, he was, I believe, stabbed in a bar fight outside in his native Bulgaria. Even off, yeah, yeah. Okay. no, not Lewis, yeah, even off. Ended up in, um, you know, a medically induced coma. It looked like for a while he wasn't going to pull pull through. You know, he's legitimately one of the toughest and most durable men walking planet Earth today. So, um, you know, it really, really pains me to pick against him. But um, Ivanov is the kind of fighter who, even when he wins, tends to absorb a bunch of strikes. You know, he doesn't have a ton. He's not your, you know, Derek Lewis type. You know, one punch Francis Ngannou. You know, one punch heavyweight knockout artist where. You know, he's always a threat to win because he could fire off one punch and, you know, it will be over. Um, actually, so four of five of even of his last six wins or four of his last five wins have come via decision, which is odd for a heavyweight. You know, heavyweights tend to rack up stoppages. So um, if even gets hit a lot, if he if he gets hit as much in this fight as he normally does. The edge 100 million percent goes to Derek Lewis because we all know Lewis's power. So that's why. That's why I took Lewis. I was going to say I'll quick interject to put the numbers behind it just because I have them up. Uh, Ivanov absorbs 4.44 significant strikes per minute. He lands only 3.56, which isn't a bad number in itself. But the fact that the striking differential 
strikes landed uh, minus strikes absorbed is negative in this case. Um, you don't necessarily see that from the elite class of fighters. I mean, Derek Lewis barely has a positive one, but each of those 2.69 per minute uh, are pack quite a bit more power, I think, so that uh, would than they be, come from Lewis. So that'd be what? 4.66. So he's looking at absorbing, what, 22, 23 significant strikes per round, right? Roughly somewhere around there. Yes, exactly. And if, and if Lewis right. can land so, those, and yeah, yeah. Right. You, you can't eat 22 strikes, significant strikes from Derek Lewis in one round and be successful. If you're betting on Ivanov as, an, as uh, you know, as if you're betting on Ivanov, you're just totally convinced that his durability is legitimate. Like he, nobody can finish him. And look, he's going to have a cardio edge. I, you know, I don't think there's, oh, yeah. you know, that, I, mean, I don't think that's if it gets to the third round, I, I definitely see him uh, becoming a lot more dangerous because we've seen Derek Lewis in the third round. In the third round, he's basically inactive until he sees one window, and then he like he gets the sudden rush of adrenaline and throws the biggest haymaker he possibly can. It worked for him against Alexander Volkov, of course did not work for him against junior dos santos so third round is interesting because we know lewis is going to be very limited at that point but i think he he puts definitely before that i would think so but you know the other thing we have to mention is what's the deal with lewis's back you know he's had back injuries before to the point where he's been in fights where he essentially admitted after the fight that he couldn't fight you know he was just forced to stand around and not do anything so and you know this back injury is really strange lewis has talked about it before at length um, you know, he says it kind of comes out of nowhere, mm-hmm. like he feels OK. And then all of a sudden his back locks up on him. So at the very you know, that's least, di- we're eight months removed. So hopefully he had some t- time to get right. I would hope he's made enough money by now to get uh, to get the treatment that he needs. So, uh, again, a reason for optimism. But I, I do I do tend to be a little hesitant when guys are coming off injury like that. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm actually really looking forward to this fight because you got one guy who goes in in Lewis who blasts everybody, mm-hmm. and then you got a guy in Ivanov who is as durable as they come, who you know has literally been on death's doorstep and come back to be one of the UFC's you know best mixed martial artists in the world and in, in his division. So this is actually a really entertaining fight. And as far as opening a pay per view, you know, we've talked before about how the UFC has you know you, has pick some really strange fights to open pay-per-views before as far as you know not good stylistic matchups and not entertaining or whatever this is the kind of fight that should be opening up a pay-per-view mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and uh again the only thing that i'll say caution wise because this is a dfs podcast after all is uh you know i mentioned getting a lot more uh, uh the casual listeners casual wa- watchers in for this big big card um, everybody knows who Derek Lewis is at that point. Not many know who Blagoy Ivanov is. So, and they're going to see Lewis with a little bit of a bargain at eight thousand compared to eighty two hundred. And I'm guessing the ownership on Lewis is going to be pretty high. So, if you're doing the multiple lineup GPP thing, maybe Lewis doesn't find his way into the winning lineup. Nonetheless, I still think he gets the finish here. But um, you know, just a word of caution here because I can see ownership percentage being really high, and sometimes you got to zig when the field zags if you're hoping for the big payday in DFS. That's all there. Um, there's one more fight I want, we want to talk about here. Uh, not on the pay-per-view, but certainly would be worthy of a pay-per-view spot in just about any other uh, scenario here. Actually, I think it's I think it's legal SB that's not on the pay-per-view, and Corey Anderson and Johnny Walker is. I got to double-check that. 
But either way, Corey Anderson, Johnny Walker, fantastic fight. Walker, pretty big favorite, 9,000. Anderson, 7,200 on DraftKings. Walker, minus 165. Anderson, plus 145. Um, again, we mentioned coming off in- injury. Johnny Walker is coming off a what I believe was a separated shoulder or some kind of shoulder injury that was sustained while he was doing the worm while celebrating his last victory. Uh, Corey That's Anderson. Great. Yeah, that. I mean, I'm, I can't make this up. This is an MMA, folks. And uh, on the other side, we got Corey Anderson, who I know you don't think super highly of, at least if you've read your columns regularly. Um, but you know, he, he's he's a solid athlete, and he's probably, uh, I would argue, one of the toughest, if not the toughest, tests that Johnny Walker has seen so far. Now, Corey overtime Anderson picking up wins against Patrick Cummings, Glover Teixeira, and Alir Latifi. All via decision here, but we know what Walker is. He's a fun, uh, you know, unique striker that's going to try to put away Anderson early and continue his run up to what he hopes is the light heavyweight title opportunity here. Do you think he can run through Anderson, or how much do you think he will be tested in this one? I think he's going to be tested. I mean, I would be very, very surprised if he wasn't tested a bit more than he was in his last three bouts. To give you an idea of how dominant Johnny Walker's been. And, you know, this is a guy who entered the company without a ton of fanfare. You know, I don't want to say he was a nobody, but, you know, he wasn't like an uber prospect or anything like that. Um, Johnny Walker has three UFC victories. They've come in a combined two minutes and 48 seconds. So three wins in 248. His last two, 51 seconds combined. So Johnny Walker has knocked out Khalil Roundtree, Justin Ledet, and Misha Serkinov in a combined two minutes and 48 seconds. So, you know, if we're using that as a baseline, Corey Anderson doesn't have to do a whole heck of a lot to put up a better effort than those three did. Um, like you said, he, he dislocated his shoulder celebrating, you know, his win over Serkinov, which is just, you know, assuming he's fine, it's hysterical. Um, and you're right. I'm not the biggest Corey Anderson supporter um, he's probably better than I think he is. You know, he's won three in a row. Alir Latifi, Glover Teixeira, Patrick Cummings. You know, decent competition. You know, Cummings isn't very good, but you know, the other two guys are, are solid enough. Um, my biggest knocks on Anderson is one: the majority of his wins come via decision, which sooner or later, when you start, I say this every you know in every division, every time I talk about a fighter who always wins via decision, sooner or later, when you're facing better competition, you have to stop somebody. You know, you can't just rely on going because even if, you know, you deserve to win fights sooner or later, the judges, you know, you're going to get screwed by the judges. Every seems like every card we talk about somebody, there's some bad decision somewhere along the way. New York is still new at this. Remember, I will point that out. It's only it hasn't been that long since they legalized maybe three years or something like that. So they are still new at this. They are. And I'm a little worried about Walker's price tag. Like, you know, as impressive as he's been, you know, he has like all three fights with the company and nine thousand dollars is, you know, a lot of your a lot of your budget to blow on one guy. So Anderson has a path to victory, at least on the surface. Um, Average Corey averages, you know, just about five point four point nine six takedowns per 15 minutes, which is a really good number. But another one of his issues is he really, really has trouble if he's not landing those takedowns. Mm-hmm. Um, Walker, obviously, Walker's been, you know, fought for less than three minutes, so two minutes and 48 seconds. But, you know, his takedown defense is 100%. And Walker in the past has talked about trying to become more than just, you know, a one punch, well round, you know, knockout artist. He's trying to develop a well rounded game. And, you know, I'm kind of interested to see this fight in the sense that. It's a different kind of opponent for Walker. Um, 
you know, Lat- Roundtree, Carlo Roundtree, and Misha Serkinov, you know, are real athletic guys. So I- I'm a little curious to see how he faces a guy like how he fares against a guy like Anderson, who is honestly revolves around his takedown and his wrestling to win. You know, Corey Anderson is not your, you know, you think, you know, once you get to the light heavyweight division, light heavyweight, heavyweight, you know, you're thinking guys, you know, bigger guys who, you know, tend to be, you know, heavy punchers. That's not Anderson. Anderson relies on takedowns, you know, the ensue, even he doesn't even seem to do a ton of like damage from like top position. It's kind of more like control time and, you know, dragging guys and ragdolling guys mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, to pure striking. So I'm interested to see how Walker fares here. I think he's the clear pick again, price tags a little too high for my personal liking, but you know, this could be a title fight. Yeah. You know, yeah. he, you know, he could get a title fight if he wins this. Yeah, I, I like where you're going with that, John. And, I, you know, honestly, I love that breakdown uh, across the board because I think if you have to pick A or B, odds, salaries, nothing aside, uh, Walker definitely has to be your pick because of that knockout power. But let's just, uh, you know, it, it, hypothetically, say you're doing 20 DraftKings lineups or something like that. Um, I think you have to use Walker in a couple because if he gets that big knockout and puts that huge score up, a lot of the field is expecting him to do that. So you need to stay, you need to have a certain level of of exposure to stay in line uh, with those expectations. But I think overall, say I make 20 lineups, I'm probably going to be actually a little bit under the field on him because I feel a little bit safer about Gillespie winning. uh, So that's one of them. And uh, again, like you said, the price tag is just too high. And also Corey Anderson, 7,200 for a fighter on a three-fight winning streak that is way more experienced than Walker, that uh, in all the scoring metrics, 4.37 significant strikes landed per minute, 4.96 takedowns landed per minute, um, and he's been fighting. I mean, you talk about this light heavyweight division all the time. It's kind of the same people going back and forth, up and down the line. So he's fought, you know, some of the better options in the light heavyweight, but he's got it together lately. And I think that if uh, he survives the first round, then he's going to have Johnny Walker in trouble. If Walker can't find a way to get him out of there in the first round, then um, then Corey's going to be able to outpoint him over the over the ladder too because we haven't necessarily seen, at least in UFC action, we haven't really seen um, Johnny Walker in later rounds. The last time Johnny Walker was in the third round was in Peru Fighting Championship 21 in 2013. He picked up a knockout. Um, but you know, also keep in mind that... Uh, Walker does have three losses on his ledger uh, on the amateur circuit. I mean, he's only 27, so you can expect that to a certain degree. Yes, um, you can see how hot he's been lately, but I think recency bias comes into play a little bit when it comes uh, when you when you see that those odds and salaries. And I'm not I'm not advocating play Anderson all over the place. I don't even think I'm going to call the upset here, but you do need to consider uh, Anderson as you know a possible GPP, especially if I kind of go back to that theme from the beginning where you're going to have to leave money on the table on this one. And I think the big winners are going to leave 1,000 or even more of their overall salary on the table here in this situation. And uh, that'll, again, especially be the case if Walker is able to pick up the win. But if he gets out of that first round, then this fight gets real interesting and it's anyone's game necessarily. Uh, like you said, Walker hasn't been tested since the I, I lied because of that fight. He was he did go three rounds on the Contender Series, so sorry if you're listening to that earlier and, and thinking I'm crazy. But uh, Contender Series isn't. It's a little bit of a different feel than uh, you know some of these actual fights on Fight Night. But anyway, my point is, yeah, I'm gonna pick Walker when it comes down to staff picks. 
But uh, in 100 lineups, I'm definitely, I assume that Walker is going to see around 40% ownership because of his high price. But I'd probably be closer to, you know, 25 out of my 100 lineups just because of that risk. If he ends up going a little bit longer than we thought, uh, then he's going to be in real trouble because Anderson's not running out of gas. His nickname's literally overtime. He's going to keep coming at you. And if Walker exhausts himself trying to go for the finish in the first round, he's going to run into problems. And that's my take on this fight. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's I'm you know, you mentioned his three rounds on the contender series, but you now I'm curious to see what Walker's going to look like after the first, you know, if he doesn't get a, you know, a knockout in the first 3 minutes or whatever. How's his game plan going to change? Is he still going to be aggressive? You know, I would think the longer this goes, like you mentioned, the more in favor it goes into Vanderson. So if, you know, this ends up going to a third round, you know, is, is Walker going to gas out? You know, are Anderson's takedowns, which weren't landing in the first two rounds, suddenly going to start landing in round three? I think this is pretty intriguing. And, you know, it's it's there's, there's no doubt it's a bigger fight for Walker than it is for Anderson. Mm-hmm. You know, Corey Anderson's not getting a title shot if he wins. If Johnny Walker walks in there, no pun intended, and blast Corey Anderson in 12 seconds, you know, he's probably next in line for John Jones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I can definitely see that. And the one other thing I'll say about uh, about Walker and his contender series opponent that I almost overlooked for a second, it's Henrique de Silva. And uh, you may remember that name if you've been watching UFC for a while. He went on a four-fight losing streak. He's actually lost seven of his last tens uh, fights overall, even some of those on the regional circuit. He's fought outside of the UFC in Brazilian-based promotions or Octagon MMA, um, and he's lost two of his last three to a Carlos Vimola. And again, we're probably extrapolating, trying to do the transitive thing too much, but uh, Walker got taken to deep waters by someone who I think is a very average fighter, and it's it's at least possible that the winning streak's a little bit fluky, especially coming off a uh, separated shoulder and against the best opponent that he's ever faced in his career by a mile. So... Um, for those reasons, I'm a little surprised that it's one of the larger discrepancies on the uh, on the card, and I think there's a slight way to be able to take advantage of that. But again, I think when it all comes down to it, we're still picking Walker. I can't bring myself to pick against this guy how hot he is, but I just need to offer this other perspective here because you know it could go a lot of ways. But speaking of potential value plays, John, whether it's guys that we've talked about or looking up and down the rest of the card, there aren't a ton of fights on this card. I think it's only like 11 fights maybe. Um, were there any other fighters that you see as a potential value play on DraftKings to give you some salary relief? I mean, there's a couple. I mean, as like an either-or type of thing, like you know, we should do at the end. I think we both would feel more comfortable dropping 9,100 on Gregor Gillespie than we would spending 9,000 on Johnny Walker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, I would agree I, with I, that. I, I think you're more likely to get a bunch of takedowns from Gillespie to rack up the points than you are from, you know, an immediate first round knockout from Walker. So, you know, I think that's just an you know, playing an odds thing. Yeah. And um, um, a, a name I wanted to bring up that uh, we haven't talked about in a while, but was one time on a pretty hot streak. I know you picked Shabazian in uh, your preview here, but I mean, Brad Tavares, you talk about toughest test of your career. Brad Tavares was on a four fight winning streak through the uh through the UFC's middleweight division, including wins over Elias Theodoro and Christoph Joko, uh, before he got beat by Israel Adesanya in the tough finale, and then he's been injured and he's coming back. Do you think people are looking, overlooking Brad Tavares as an underdog, or do you think this is one Shabazian runs away with? No, I think Tavares is you know a perfectly reasonable underdog play. Um, he, I actually, I was looking at that and I was a little surprised. I mean, I know Shabazian has been, you know, really impressive, but I was a, a little surprised, you know, the odds. I thought maybe, you know, actually they are pretty close, but I thought, you know, I think there's a difference in 
style stylistic matchup between the two. Um, Tavares is just an all-around solid mixed martial artist, while Shabazian is just you know a pure knockout guy. You know, and the other thing to keep in mind is Shabazian is 21 years old. He'll be 22 in you know November 20th. So before, you know after this fight, and he has eight. He has 10 career fights, eight knockout wins, one submission win. So he's a guy coming after you. And you know, Tavares is good. He, you know, he's one of those underrated guys. Um, doesn't beat himself. He's been around forever. You know, his last fight was, but he's looking at a year and a half on the sidelines. His last fight, July 20, July of 2018, went the entire five rounds of Israel Adesanya. So you know, you, you know he's durable and can stick around. Um, I like Tavares as an underdog play. I would have no problem with that if if you're the type to make you know many lineups. Um, the other two I thought were decent were. I'm not a real. I, I mean, I know her record is really good. Caitlin Chukagian has a really good record with the company. She's twelve and two. Um, I don't really think her overall skill level, if you watch all of her fights, match up with that career record. Um, I mean, she has some pretty impressive wins. Uh, Joanne Calderwood's actually legitimately good, and she beat her. Um, so you know, I, she's probably better than I'm giving her credit for. But, you know, I'd certainly be willing to listen on Jenner from Maya at $7,300 if for no other reason than I don't think Chukagian is, you know, all that great of a play. Never, I would never use Chukagian at that price, period. But I think at, you know, such a cheap price, I think Maya's in play. And the other one I actually thought about when I was looking at it is I didn't pick him, but um, Julio Arce is 7,600 against Hakeem Duwadu. And Hakeem is an ultra-aggressive fighter. He's just a pure brawler who stands and trades and all that and just, you know, cracks his opponent, is willing to take, you know, eat a punch to land two. And those guys are scary. You know, if things, you know, if things go the wrong way and you're involved in a brawl like that, you could get your lights turned out. And Julio Arce, you know, is a Queens native, like um, a couple guys on this card is, you know, a Tiger Shulman product. So he'll certainly have the crowd behind him. And again, a pretty cheap salary at 7,600. The only purse fighter on the undercard I would 100 million percent not use no matter what. Go ahead. I'll give you one guess. Andre Arlovsky. There you go. Always. <laughs> I was about to ask before we sign off. So what about Andre Arlovsky? How many lineups? No, <laughs> none. Never any. I don't care if he, he could be the champ. He could win 10 in a row, be champion, you know, defeat John Jones, do all that stuff. Never. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this could very easily be the retirement fight for him. But the problem with the guy like Arlovsky is, uh, I don't know, Bellator picks him up immediately once the UFC decides to part ways. He's but they not, have so much depth. Like they, shouldn't even, they shouldn't even care, though. Like, what? Like what is really losing Andre Arlovsky going to do anything to the UFC? No. You know, no one's going to turn off a UFC event or not watch it or turn on a Bellator event because he's fighting. Who cares? I got you, yeah. All right, so we can agree that he's nearing the end of the road. And that pretty much, I mean, we almost went through every single fight on this car. But if you want to see the rest of John's picks, go ahead and check out uh, his article. It's free on rotowire.com breaks down the six fights that we talked about in depth also uh if you're surfing around rotowire.com want to give it a spin uh at rotowire.com slash free for 10 days uh free trial no strings attached no credit card we've got a dfs lineup optimizer for mma and we've recently been making some improvements to that we have a odds implied winning percentage model where if you want to do the straight poker uh no think nothing about these fighter and go 
purely based on the odds to give you the best lineup, we've got you covered there. You can also set your exposure in certain ways and generate up to 150 lineups, export it in a, in a CSV file, upload it to DraftKings, you're ready to go. All these DFS features are, are, are new and ready to roll. And of course, that trial gets you everything else on the website. You know it's football season here. While you're checking that out, might as well set your week nine NFL lineup. All of those season-long DFS features and more are available at rotowire.com. Well, John, thanks as always for joining me. It's been a pleasure wrapping up UFC 244 here. You and I are going to talk again. We've got an excellent card in December, headlined by three title fights. So we'll return for UFC 245 in Vegas. Until then, good luck to everyone with your fantasy lineups, and uh, thanks for giving us a listen as always. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.